Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Polite Politics. I am Noah Niederhofer, driving solo today, and there is a lot of news to get into. One of the things I want to start with is uh, Black Lives Matter. We have certainly seen a continuation of the protests throughout the country. Uh, There has been an escalation in violence in a couple of places. One person was fatally shot on Saturday night in a part of uh, downtown Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Demonstrators had gathered to protest the death of Breonna Taylor, and uh, there were reports of shots fired at Jefferson Square Park. Uh, um, A person opened fire on the demonstrators, and uh, so another shooting victim was taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, but one person did die in that attack on peaceful demonstrators. Part of this movement has focused on not just systemic racism and injustice and racial inequality and racism itself, but there's been this new movement to try to work on kind of the, the enfranchisement of black voters, which leads into the next conversation about D.C. statehood. And the U.S. House of Representatives passed. This was almost exclusively on party lines. Only one Democrat opposed the measure. All Republicans, I believe, opposed it. But the U.S. House of Representatives, for the first time, passed their version of of a, of a bill that would grant... Um, that would grant D.C., the District of Columbia, our nation's capital, statehood. Now, this has been something that has been talked about for a long time, but never really has anything been done about it. The last time, I believe, a vote was taken on this was in 1993. And in fact, 100 Democrats, including Steny Hoyer, who's now one of the most four powerful people in the House of Representatives, a Democrat. So 100 Democrats in 1993 actually opposed giving D.C. statehood. So this is not the first time that this has come up for a vote, but this is the first time that either House, either the House of Representatives, or I should say either chamber, the House of Representatives, or the U.S. Senate, has actually declared that D.C. is worthy of statehood. They passed that version now before anybody gets their hopes up and say oh my goodness is, is you know the district of columbia going to become a state absolutely not it's not going to happen the reason for this is twofold one the senate and more specifically uh senate majority leader mitch mcconnell said that he will not even bring this up for debate will not even bring it to the floor so this is pretty much doa as far as the senate is concerned it's more symbolic than anything else it accomplishes absolutely nothing other than perhaps Democrats bowing to political pressure. And then the president, uh, President Trump, has said that he will veto any bill that is sent to him with that. So it's, it's really not going anywhere. The reason the Democrats want this is, as I've mentioned, this is something that has been talked about for a while, but Democrats actually voted against back in 1993. As I mentioned, 100 Democrats opposed this, including people that are still in Congress today. Now, Steny Hoyer did vote for it now. I think that there are arguments to be made for both sides. One, I live here in Washington, D.C., so you could say perhaps I'm a little bit biased. I pay taxes, just like every other American. 
and I don't get any voting representation in the United States Congress. We have a shadow delegate who doesn't really get to vote on the House floor. Uh, so there's really nothing that I get in terms of voters. I can't call a senator or petition my representative to do anything because I simply don't have those. And there are people from the District of Columbia that sign up to fight in our nation's armed forces, and they do so every year. So in that vein, people here in the District of Columbia, such as myself, we do the things that other Americans do, and yet don't enjoy some of the same rights in terms of having our voices heard in Congress. So... One of the big things when we were talking about the Revolutionary War and one of the things that made the movement so incredibly powerful was this phrase, taxation without representation. Well, that's exactly what's going on here in the District of Columbia. We are being taxed without getting representation in Congress. We're taxed without being able to have a say in how those taxes are created, how those taxes are handed out and enforced, and we send young men and women off to fight for the United States of America and our armed forces, but we don't have a say in whether those wars are fought at all. We don't get to vote for or against potential war or military action. So the House bill, the district has over 700,000 people living in it. I'm one of them. And we would have one representative in the House of Representatives, one congressperson, and two senators just as every state receives two senators. Now, there goes to the Republican side of this argument, which I, I think certainly has a lot of validity to it, which is that the Democrats are making this push now simply because they want the two Senate seats, which with the District of Columbia voting, this is just, I believe, in the last election, 93 to 7%. So 93% versus 7%. That was for Clinton against Trump back in the 2016 election. It was overwhelmingly Democratic, and that's probably how the Democrats see this working out for the long term, as well as the short term, is that those Senate seats are going to be reliably blue, and it's going to change the division and balance of power in the Senate by giving Democrats more control and making it easier for them to flip the Senate. Republicans certainly don't want that, and they see this as a power grab. I wish I could say that I view it differently, but Democrats have certainly never cared about this before. In fact, as I mentioned, they voted against it in 93, didn't seem to care about it much then, and that was with a Democratic president in Bill Clinton. So... They didn't care about it as much, I guess, under Obama, who is black himself. A lot of people are saying that this is a way to enfranchise black voters and give them a, a, a bigger role in the voice of, of the country. Certainly would be true, but didn't seem to matter then as well. 
So, to me, it doesn't seem to hold water as much. I do buy into the idea that this is really because of the Senate seats. And I don't see this bill getting passed in any way unless the Democrats control the House, the Senate, and hold the White House at the same time. And there is a potential that this could face a legal challenge even if this is passed into law. So this is by no means fixed and over, but it is something to think about in terms of, okay, well, what happens if we do give D.C. statehood? What about Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico has millions of people, so multiples in terms of the population of Washington, D.C., and they've been a territory for a long time. This is, you know, since right before 1900. They've been a U.S. territory in a similar way that I don't think that Congress wants to give D.C. more autonomy. It's much easier for them, and they feel better about having control and not having to give out federal funding uh, as a mandate to these different places because they're territories and not states. I think D.C. wants the power to control and have leverage over these different places. I think Republicans definitely, and well, and Democrats too, enjoy having the power of the budget over Washington, D.C. They prefer it that way. And that's a sad statement, but I believe it's a true one. And what happens to Puerto Rico? Does Puerto Rico get statehood if D.C. somehow is granted statehood? And then where does that stop? Do we also go to Guam, other places like that that have certainly helped us in the past, Puerto Rico, if, if Democrats believe for some reason that Puerto Rico might have Republican leanings and, and, and would, would put Republican senators in there, would they try to block Puerto Rico? Or would they say, okay, you know what? We gave D.C. statehood. They deserved it. Guess what? Puerto Rico, they're a territory. They deserve it too. Would they do that? And would people have the same problem with Puerto Rico that they do with the, with the District of Columbia? It would be very interesting to see, but I certainly do know this. Adding four more Senate seats would make things really, really interesting in Washington, D.C. Speaking of the goings-on in Washington, some interesting things coming out with the President of the United States. Politico published a piece that says that there's internal polling that says that it just does not look like a good situation. The polling does not seem to be very good for the president his allies know this he has talked to his allies about this he doesn't seem to have the same pep in his step as he did before unfortunately the, the coronavirus we're seeing cases increase uh, we are over 125,000 americans dead from coronavirus and with the reopenings it seems like we are continuing in that direction in fact texas as well some other states are actually going to stop their reopenings and backtrack because some of these states perhaps reopened too soon, and now we are seeing huge surges in cases. In fact, Florida had nearly 9,000 new cases of coronavirus in one day. So some of these states are setting single-day highs and records 
for the amount of coronavirus cases. And in fact, the United States, we had 40,000 cases in one single day, and that was a new high for the United States. That being said, it's certainly good that the deaths are down. The hospitalizations don't seem to be going up as, as high, and that's exactly what we want. So it, it, while it's obviously not good for people to get coronavirus at all because, as we've seen from the reporting, this has long-term effects on your body. Whether or not you die from it, even if it's asymptomatic and not as severe, this will affect you going forward. This will affect you long-term, and that's certainly not something that we want for any one of our fellow citizens. It doesn't matter what party you're from. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, black and white. It doesn't matter. We don't want that for you. But that being said, it is good that while people are getting it, not as many people are dying. And that's certainly something that we should be cognizant of and happy about. We certainly don't want as many hospitalizations, so we want to keep that number down. Now, what's happening in Texas is that some of these hospitalizations are going up which means that the governor, uh, Governor Abbott of Texas, said that he had stopped elective surgeries in order to make more room in hospitals, which I think was a great move on his part. He has also backed it down from uh, some, some of the places, and when I say back down, he's made some of these businesses back down from what they had hoped to do in their next phase of reopening, so that's going to be stopped and then they might go back even further from there in trying to make sure that social distancing is enforced. Speaking for me and people from the DMV area, as they say, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, July 1st is the day that we are going to enter phase three of our reopenings. It's going to start with Virginia, and then D.C. and Maryland will closely follow behind that. So far, so good. Uh, the surges in coronavirus cases have, have come pretty much from the south of the country, the southeast, Florida, Texas, some areas like that, and some as well in the west. So now what we're seeing is, you know, these surges, thankfully, this mid-Atlantic region, if you're looking at the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, has not really seen a huge upsurge and uptick in those cases. Hopefully that continues, but obviously as we enter phase three of the reopening, that is going to be tested, and it's going to be very, very difficult for people to, again, maintain the discipline. Please wear those masks, not just, you know, again, it's it's not just to protect you. It's about protecting other people. It's about other people here, guys. We have to remember that it's about other people and, and keeping each other safe, and that's what we have to do, and that's what we owe to each other, I feel like. I want to take a moment before we get into our uplifting story of the week, just to remember to be kind to each other. It costs you nothing, and, you know, there's so much that we don't know about what other people are going through at this time. There are so many stressors, so many things pulling at us from so many different directions, and not all of that can be seen just from from looking at a person, but especially now. Just be kind. I want you to think about that this week. Uh, hopefully you do every week, but certainly I want you to, to go into this one as, as a week of kindness, as a week of perhaps doing something for others, as a week of placing the needs of others above your own. And with that, that brings us to our uplifting story of the week. This one comes to us from Miami Beach. There were a couple of garbage men who were rolling down the street into the North Bay Road community, 
and scores of residents had gotten up early to line the street with signs and balloons, all to say that we love you. It was really great. The mayor of Miami Beach, Dan Gelber, showed up to salute them as well. It was a really amazing scene. Uh, these garbage men have, have been a part of this community and have talked with the residents there and interacted with the residents before. And so uh, all of these these people came out and showed up with gift bags, cards, presents um, to present to these essential workers that don't really get a lot of the love that we shower upon other essential people, obviously people that are working on the front lines. But garbage men are, are certainly just as important to the functioning of a city and municipality. And so it was so wonderful in Miami Beach to see this interaction between this community and these, these two particular garbage men want to move now to my final thoughts on the week that was and the week to come week that was and what, what a doozy obviously as we see, you see with the the bill of concerning dc statehood we had primaries in new york in kentucky those are going to be uh, at least with uh, mcgrath and booker in the kentucky primary that winner will take on mitch mcconnell that is going to be a huge race um a lot of votes still left to be tabulated. Both parties still feel very strongly about their stance. McGrath uh, certainly seems, and she was the, the front runner, but until Booker closed fast in the final weeks. It's going to be really, really interesting to see who comes out of there and, and how they will be positioned. Mitch McConnell is one of the shrewdest politicians that this country has ever known. He has been in power for a long, long time, and he does that because he's incredibly good at what he does, and he has a very sophisticated campaign operation in the state of Kentucky. Some other great news that came out earlier this week was the NBA is going to restart its season on July 30th. Jazz versus Pelicans, that's the Utah Jazz against the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Los Angeles Clippers will take on the Los Angeles Lakers. That will be in a doubleheader on TNT, and we also found out that the baseball season will return, and uh, July 23rd is uh, we're going to have a primetime game. The defending World Series champion, Washington Nationals, will host the New York Yankees. Certainly glad that we'll have some live sports back, uh, in addition to golf and NASCAR, which we've already seen return, but having baseball and basketball gives us certainly more of a of a summer feel to it as, as a more typical summer that we're used to. It will also give us some nice things to entertain us and perhaps give us an escape of sorts from some of the just unpleasantness and in some ways, you know, horrifying things that we continue to see across the country and around the world, something that can at least maybe lift us up or unite us in some ways when there are so many things that we see outside that divide us. Looking ahead to this coming week, um, Vice President Pence canceled a couple of rallies in Arizona and Florida. Those are a couple of states that are seeing some surges in cases, and so going to be interesting to see whether or not he or the president maybe goes and tries to hit the campaign trail again or whether or not they kind of keep it to dc give statements to the press briefings and things like that certainly want to make sure that the testing continues that's something that the president has said he actually would like to conduct fewer tests because it 
looks worse because with additional testing, certainly that does help with finding more coronavirus cases. And then those positive cases, as the president said, makes it look bad because it says that we have more and more numbers. Now, while the president and vice president have stuck to this line, it certainly does not explain the incredible amount of cases. It certainly explains some of the cases, but it doesn't explain all of the rapid cases that we're seeing across the country. Also saw this this past week that New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, Ned Lamont, Phil Murphy, and Andrew Cuomo, the governors there of, of the three tri-state areas, again, um, that would be Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York, respectively. They've instituted a 14-day quarantine for people that are coming from nine different states, and we could see that increase, but I'm really interested to see going forward this week, are more states going to put up quarantines like we saw early on in this process? Texas had one, and uh, I believe they were quarantining people that traveled from areas like California and other places like that. So I'm very interested to see, are other states going to take these measures into account? Are we going to see continuous rises in cases across the South? Are we going to see more states and more leaders take on the challenge of the things that Governor Abbott has done. That Governor Abbott has said, you know what, we need to stop because here's what the data shows us and we need to react to that instead of allowing this kind of, you know, we need to reopen the economy. It's about the economy, economy, economy. I think he understands that there is that balance that needs to be struck. So while he's not completely shutting down the reopening, he is halting it and in some cases definitely backing away from some of those things and lessening the amount of people that can be in those places at one time in terms of restaurants and other places like that definitely want to applaud the fact that he is doing that in in, you know in being reactive uh, to it and and hopefully taking some steps that are proactive as well Another thing I'm looking forward to this coming week is the 4th of July. Hopefully we'll talk with Jenny, Dan Karish, and Dan Rosenfield about their 4th of Julys when we talk to you next. I'm actually going to be moving myself uh, this week, still in Northeast D.C. We'll still be here, still a denizen of the district, still a resident of Washington, D.C. And uh, who knows, I, I might actually be broadcasting next week from my uh the new the new place we will uh we'll see but want to thank you all for listening as always please remember be kind be kind be gracious to others show a little bit of compassion i know that we could all use it and don't forget to be compassionate to yourself as well thank you all for listening again episode 18 of polite politics no Niederhofer here again thank you so much for listening talk to y'all next time